So let's just take a look there. Beginning in verse 19 of Revelation 19. And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against Jesus, against God, against him who sat on the horse, and, and against his army. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who, were, who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped the image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone, the abuso. And the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse and all the birds who were filled with their flesh. This was referred to as the the uh, supper, but not the wedding supper. This is where these birds are literally going to feed off the flesh. There's going to be such devastation. You caught in that just little clip, if you would, that armies and people are assembled to go against God. As, and, and it's referred to, as like some, some refer to it as the Battle of Armageddon or in the Valley of Megiddo. But it wasn't a battle. There was no fight. Nothing happened in, reg- in regards to like a back and forth tussle. He showed up, they're done. That's what happened. Because, you know, and so it's, it, you look at it and go, man, and, and how sad it was. And it, it, it will be, because that too is, is a future tense. It's the end of the tribulation that this takes place. And then, of course, then he sees after that happens here. Then I saw an angel coming down where? From heaven. So you see now, and I've given you this picture before, and I think it's just a good way in our culture to, to grasp it. It's when you, you, you see one screen, and then you see another screen, and then another angle here. So you see different things happening all at the same time, but maybe in different locations. A, a parallel with that would be sometimes what you can see on, on a news clip of something happening in another country. And you can see different um, broadcast showing different things of an event that's happened simultaneously in different places. So anyway, what we see here is this angel coming down from heaven, heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up. And set a seal on him that no, that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. So we know in the overlap between chapter 19 where we started and here, we know that these other two of this unholy tri- trinity, the, the beast and the false prophet, they are cast into the abyss to stay. They're, they're going to face eternal torment. Um, this Satan, which, which, uh, see, the devil, um, gosh, what's it mean? I'm trying to think. It's not adversary. Uh, Satan means adversary. Um, I think it's like deceiver. But anyway, the, these are the words, the, the titles that are given to Satan. He is actually going to be put in the, uh, the abyss, the abuso. Uh, Hades, think of it as this compartment, this, this holding tank, so to speak, but the centermost part of it is bottomless. In the way one person described it being bottomless, if it's at the center point of the earth with the, the, the rotation and the revelation, the re- revolution of the earth, and you, see, you, you actually could not, you, you could never, you could, you could always be in the middle and always functionally be like falling and never arriving. It's kind of a funky thing, but you start thinking about it, if that's what could happen. And I don't really know 
There's some other things we won't get into tonight about molecular structure and different things that change the, the understanding of a location and different things as far as how you, you wouldn't have to be really big. You could be small if the molecular structure, I don't, we're not going to go there tonight. Anyway, the point being, we know that he's held that the Antichrist and this beast are not be released, but what's the difference about Satan? He's chained. So he's um, contained there, held there. And you notice that it says that he should deceive the nations no more because he is the deceiver. He is, uh, the other word I was searching for is the accuser. Like we know he, we're told he's the accuser of the brethren. Well, there'll be a thousand year reign where he's, he's going to be held. And that's what we see. And then we're going to pick up in verse 4 here in a little bit. And we're going to see that, you know, this, we're going to see some description of this thousand year period. But before we do, I want to present something to you to just chew on. You can go look it up yourself. We know that in Daniel 9 and from other places that this tribulation period, um, the three and a half years, um, actually it, it would be, yeah, seven years, the, the 1260 days, you know what I'm talking about? Okay, so we have that, but here's an interesting one. Now we know that out of Daniel 9, but... Well, I'll just turn to it real quick. Daniel chapter 12, verse 11. And it reads, speaking of these end times, and from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up. So that was a key point that we're looking for. That's three and a half years that we're looking towards. There shall be 1,290 days. Interesting. 90 days, not 60 days. Continuing on, it says in verse 12, Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. But you, go your way till the end, because we telling Daniel, until you can get a hold of this. Basically, what we see here, and there's some other passages that give a glimpse of this, is there seems to be a 75-day period from the end of the tribulation until the start of the millennial period looking at those numbers in other places. Um, I believe it's Ron Rhodes uh, who really gets more in detail on this and quotes even other scholars who have studied this uh, in his book, um, The Order of the End Times. You know, End Times in Chronological Order, I think, is the name of the book. I have it if you want to glance at it or take a look at it. But it makes sense because you know, there could be a time where there, maybe there, it's the time of establishing the millennial government and structure. Uh, part of me thinks God could do that in a blink and a snap of a fingers, but he also is involving, you know, on earth, he's involving humanity in this millennial reign. Uh, the humanity will be involved, we'll see, it will be you and I and other saints that will be reigning and ruling with Christ. So there will be some government and structure. It'll be a time, possibly a time when the Antichrist and the beast, as we've seen, are sent to the abyss. A time of the separating that Jesus spoke of in Matthew uh, chapter 25, verses 31 to 46. You remember, I'll give you a hint. That's the one where he says, you know, hey, you, when, you, you know, when you did it not to the least of these, you did it not to me. And then he refers to in the very last verse about this, this separating and how he'll separate the righteous and the unrighteous. And so it's an interesting thought, you know. Um, I found it thought-provoking. I only mention it not to come up with something new, but just to remind you, you know, do not be definitive where God is ambiguous. In other words, when God give, reveals his word, some things he does leave us room to chew on it and to talk about it. 
Not to divide over it and to turn it into a point of arguments and absolutes, because there's a lot of things that God has written in his word that leaves us to go, well, in light of this and considering that, doesn't that mean this? Yeah, good. You know, the one that I, I've shared with you, and it's one I think is pretty simple. It's like, well, so are we, are we um, elected by God, or do we exercise free will? I said, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, we are. Well, which one is it? I, I, I think he's left that for us to discuss. It doesn't change how it is. It just helps us to realize, well, I can show you scripture where this side's right, and I can show you scripture where this side's right. But to do that, I have to ignore other scriptures that unite them together. So you have to go, okay, well, I'm not trying to be definitive, nor should we be so vague and general that, oh, you know, it's all going to work out. Man upstairs is going to do what the man upstairs is going to do. I've heard that, literally that quote. And I'm like, no, whoever believes on the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. You know, it's not just like what he flips the coin or how he randomly calls things, you know, indeterminately. We want to know as we study the word, okay, I want to understand, because this, could this be this or that? We do know there will be a thousand-year reign. And ironically, that's another huge point of discussion and division, whether it's figuratively or whether it's actually, whether it's future or whether it's history. It's amazing when you look into this, like, man, it's, it's a thousand years it, it, it says it more than once. It's like, I don't know how we would, why we would even want to take the liberty to take simplicity and create confusion with it. It just doesn't make sense to me. Nonetheless, we see in verse 4, let's read 4 through 6. John, of course, is looking at all this. It's all unfolded before, you, before his eyes. I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them, the people who sat on the thrones, then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So who, this really isn't um, one that we could dissect and debate and try to decide, well, who's that talking about? It's so descriptive, it leaves you with one answer. It is those who had, who not, had not worshipped the beast or his image. And then, so when was that supposed to take place? During the tribulation period. So these who are those, what we would think of or say even accurately from other passages and chapters we looked at, the tribulation saints. Those who come to Christ because they denied the Antichrist. They would not bow down. They would not worship. They would not give in to the system and the, the, the one who had established himself as the leader of the system during the tribulation period. And so we know that, and this goes on to say in verse 5, but the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, and they shall be priests of God and Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. We're going to come back as we get to verse 11. You'll come back to the great white throne judgment. But it suffices to say this first resurrection is the resurrection of believers. And we can discuss and talk about believers from the Old Testament, or just the tribulation, or prior to the tribulation, the, the church age between the Old Testament saints and, and the, the, you know, the 
time prior to the resurrection and ascension or those after? Well, I actually, quite honestly, you're right there with all of them. But what we're going to come to later is those who have denied Christ, who had lived opposed to God in all ages, see, there will be a, 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 a different issue that they're going to deal with. There's, there's a judgment that they'll deal with. It's referred to as the great white throne judgment. So let's just continue on. Before we go, though, I want to touch a little bit on um, the, the thousand-year reign. Uh, here's a few things to consider. During the millennium, um, I think we can see from other passages pretty simply, God's attention will be uh, upon Israel still. It's that way during the tribulation. But Israel will be the superpower of the world, uh, the leading nation in all the earth. The center of Israel will be what's referred to as the mountain of the Lord's house, the Temple Mount, which will be the capital of the government of the Messiah. Um, all nations, I think, shall flow to um, what we would call Jesus' government, their Messiah. You find that in Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, as well as Ezekiel 22, or Ezekiel 17, verses 22 to 24. Another thing we'll see during the millennial reign we'll be a part of, Jesus will reign as Lord without the prince of this age misleading and deceiving people. Because where is the prince of this age at the time of the millennial reign? He's locked up. He's in the abuso on a leash, so to speak. And so it'll be an interesting reign that thousand years, which we'll, it says we'll reign and rule with him. But there's not the misleading and the deceiving. The, the agent of deception will be removed. So it's going to be a different uh, world, honestly, People will still have their, their carnal nature. They're not all born again in the millennial reign. Many are not. And so those who are there will not have what we have. We have not only our old nature, even before you're born again, you have that carnal nature. And you have this deceiver, misleader, which you don't get to visibly recognize. You know, if you'd show up in a red suit and a pitchfork, you could probably make a pretty quick decision. But he can transform himself as an angel of light. He can be very convincing and very devious. And I don't think it's him in a person, you know, in a physical form that's going to bug any of us. He's got some hotshot government people to deal with. But his little minions will show up in some measure. They'll be influenced. We have it. Well, guess what? In the millennial reign, that's not here because he's, he's subjected to the authority of God. And God has allowed him in this moment in time to have or be the prince of this age, the ruler of this time, even though we see from this text and see from studying through this, God is still ruling over him. That's what's confusing for us because we don't understand justice and the way God exercised justice because we think we should just get rid of him. Uh, another thing we'll consider is uh, all matters will be handled swiftly, judicially and perfectly because there's going to be a reign and a rule so there's obviously going to be rules for rulers to rule over subjects reigning indicates you know some element of of authority and coordination and, and structure but things will be handled under jesus watch swiftly judicially and perfectly which we cannot say about any government on this planet right now um I wonder, I do believe this actually, that it will be perhaps like a, a pre-flood interaction with animals. What was the interaction with animals like prior to the flood? 
I think Adam and Eve. They're just hanging out. I'll name you a horse and I'll name you. I mean, not quite that loose, but you know what I mean? There, there was an interaction there. Most people would hold to this term, which I don't hold to, that they, human, human people out of the, uh, or before the flood were vegetarian, which I think is accurate, but I wouldn't make a big deal about it. But because animals didn't flee from people. Do you know that? You do know that, right? When was the fear of man placed upon animals? When they come off the ark, when we come off the, when humanity come off the ark, man then starts to eat meat. Well, it's pretty easy if they don't run away from you. It would be like a wholesale slaughter of animals, but God put the fear of man in animals at that time. So, but consider a couple passages uh, out of Isaiah 11, uh, verses 6 through 9. You can check that out later. But a child will be safe. Um, the lion will lay down with the lamb. We're told that the vipers and the serpents are not a threat. So there, there's something that you go, it's going to be different. That's the, during the millennial reign. I'm kind of looking forward to it. Um, I'm not going to go there and discuss whether Fido and Fluffy are going with you to heaven. Um, that's another topic I just touched by not touching it, I guess. I don't know. Um, I just know God gave us animals. Animals were created on this planet for us to have dominion over them. And dominion doesn't mean like, you know, arrogant rule. It's compassionate provision, engagement and leading. So we, we have that. So I don't know, maybe they'll, they'll be there. Another thing is we know that King David will have a prominent place on the millennial earth ruling over Israel. Several passages out of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, uh, even Hosea 3.5 lead us to that. And then uh, let me just check this one other one. I wanted to double check this one before we get started, John. We'll come back to that one. Chapter 20, verse 5. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. So what I want to go to is a, a passage in John um, in, in chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. And so God has always made a distinction. Can we agree with that among people? Not, he doesn't show partiality. He doesn't love one more than the other. But there was two groups of people primarily that we, we read about through the Old Testament. The Gentiles, the non-Jews, and the Jews. And even when we see the Jews' job, the purpose of the Israelites was to bring forward the truth of how God interacts with humanity, to bring forward the truth of grace and love and hope and forgiveness. And even as they brought forward, brought that forward, their people chose. So there's two different groups. And in John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29, Jesus said this in concerning judgment and God, God's authority over man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming when which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Now you have to know the context. You have to understand in this content, in this chapter 5 of John, he's not talking about works. For we know our righteousness, according to the letter to the Philippians, our righteousness is nothing if it's of our works. 
But our righteousness is his righteousness in us, his work given to us. So it's not to indicate, because some people have taken this out of context and thought, oh man, I got I to gotta do good, you know, so that I can be, you know, resurrected to good and not to evil. It, it's, it's the good you can do is to believe that his goodness is enough for you. That's the only good you can do. Okay, I I put my faith, my confidence in him. But you see, even here, as I glance back to that passage, we see God is separated. He knows perfectly those who are his and those who are not. And and I think it's so important because we're reading about a time where there will be a distinction and there will be a separation and heaven will not be everybody who ever wanted to go because they've seen something cool on TV. It's a very distinct group. It's those who have put their faith in Christ, who have put their faith in, the, faith in the living God. The Old Testament saints, you could say, well, how do they put their faith in Christ? Because the Old Testament tells of the coming Messiah. The whole Old Testament, even in the selected genealogy, which is only a little bit of all humanity, but there is a definite uh, point to the genealogy presented, and we see it summarized in the Gospels, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, directing us to Jesus Christ. So throughout the scripture, it's, it's, that's the one primary point, and that's the point of separation, if you would, that we see. Now let's go on in verse 7 in, in Revelation chapter 20. Now when the thousand years have expired, now this is going to happen, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth. Gog and Magog to gather them together to battle, whose number is as at the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are. We read that already. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So... Chapter, or I mean, verse seven. We see that thousand years is a thousand years. It's, it's gonna, it is, and when it's expired, he will be released. And some say, why? You had him in pinned down. Why turn him loose? Why would he be allowed to then wreak havoc on the planet? Well, you can't have choice if you have no choice. You can't have free will if you have no options. There's only this and not this. Correct. Love, first of all, requires free will. I believe that we can see easily from the study of Scripture that to know love, you really need to be able to make that choice to love. If we're made as a machine or a robot that has no will, no volition, it's just mechanized. It always responds the same way. It only does the same thing. Well, that's not the love God speaks of. Even himself speaking of, he chooses, you know, he chooses to save humanity. He chooses to give his own son. He chooses to offer this gift of life. Well, likewise, those who go through the millennial period, they now have a choice. They had a choice going through in the sense of their carnal nature. But when the light's on, it's hard to really figure out what you do in the dark. And so I believe what we see through this is he's going to be released. And, and then some will have a choice. Now, I, I kind of go, man, this is perplexing what it would be like to live in that environment i just described previously with no deceiver no accuser you don't have his minions working around you and like some of the things we deal with to be in an environment where you see perfect justice 
perfect order, authority, Jesus himself reigning over. I mean, it's just hard to even, we can't even try to imagine a, a city or government or any authority on this earth, apart from God, that would function that way. And yet, even as that happened, and people experienced that for a thousand years, many will turn, as we just read, turn against God. Even, so it shows something that's important. It's not your environment, it's your heart. It's got nothing to do with the environment. It's easier to blame the environment because it doesn't talk back. But ultimately, it never solves anything. You know, it, the environment give an opportunity for the heart to express what's already there. So now Satan's released, as you've seen, and he will be, you know, gathered with Gog and Magog. Now, I don't believe this is the Gog and Magog of Ezekiel 38 and 39. I believe that takes place at any moment for us right now, currently. Uh, it could take place, and many believe it'll take place, that battle that where they'll come with their um, alliances and other countries are going to come. It says they're going to come from the north, and they're going to come down upon and attack Israel. And Israel's enemies will declare God saved Israel. It won't be the eagle from the west with the American flag that saves Israel. It won't be any other ally. There will no, be, no one will stand with Israel in that particular battle. Now that could happen at any moment. It may be something that takes place, you know, obviously right at the time of the rapture, going into the tribulation, but it's distinctly different. Now what I think we have to consider is that the Gog and Magog at this point could be representative of the enemies of God. Because we already know if Ezekiel 38 and 39, which was speaking of this descendant of Noah and this area of Gog, this, this northern Russian, as we call it now, um, enemy. That, that's a significant enemy, according to Ezekiel 38 and 39. And you'll see sometimes the, the scripture will refer to something, and you'll use the name of a prior, like for example, a previous enemy, and that will be rolled over and, and time and again. You'll see, I could show you some other passages that do that. I, I just look at it and go, I'm not definitive that it has to be the same order of people, so to speak, same alliance, repeating itself thousand years later, doesn't, that doesn't make sense to me, because that will be eliminated. That will not be present in this millennial reign, or millennial age. Regardless, a massive force of people that have lived during the thousand-year reign will gather to remove God. There are people today that think by denying God and saying he doesn't exist, then God must not be. That is an educated, so to speak, that is an academic attitude, and it fits right there with a three-year-old who covers his eyes when, fear, when something scares them. And why do they cover their eyes? Because when they cover their eyes, it's the bad guy's not there no more. Because look, <laughs> oh, no, no, okay. Ah! It's like, have you thought about that? I mean, they literally are going to remove God. The mindset, it parallels with the mindset when they decided, okay, well, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, so let's kill Jesus. And then he comes back from the dead. When you ask that question, like, well, how's that going to work? You know, it just, it's completely denying the power and presence of God. Well, we know that happens today. We know that's going to continue to happen. Um, we see this, you know, as this unfolds and comes, you know, un, you know, comes out, 
you know, this mass of people, those from the thousand-year period, who, who turned on God after the devil was released, will gather against Jesus and his heavenly armies. Fire comes down and their earthly bodies are destroyed. I make that distinction because according to verse 10, we see from the devil, the beast, and the false prophet, they are tormented day and night forever and ever. You know, this abuso, this, this, this place of torment was created for fallen angels, for Satan himself. But people will choose to join him there by rejecting Jesus Christ. And there won't be annihilation, as some want to teach. You know, how can a loving God put someone to eternal torment for a decision made in such a temporal realm? How can just in a few moments here, comparatively to eternity, determine how I'll spend eternity? I don't have to work that out. It's a fact you have to deal with. It's a truth that is just there. And then we can say, well, that seems terrible. I don't know. How terrible is it for God to come and take the sins of the world upon himself and then have people who he offered that forgiveness to flip him the finger, call him an idiot, and says he, they don't ever want to be around him? I mean, he paid a pretty, an unfathomable price, fathomable price for us to have salvation, and others reject that salvation. So I, I can't measure that. You see what I'm saying? I, I, I can only say this, I, this is what the Bible teaches. And I, I'm concerned because some people are like, you know, what's the worst thing going to happen? I just stop to exist. I cease to be. Jehovah's Witnesses, other groups teach that. Which is bad enough, but it certainly lightens and, and, and deflates the reality of a decision when the decision that I, if I was to choose to reject Christ would result in eternal separation removal from God. Satan is sent to the abyss to live forever in complete separation from God and all that is good. See, here's another thing that happens in our world. People redefine hell. Why would I want to go to heaven and sit on the cloud and play a harp when I can go to hell and party with my friends? That's just stupid. Why I'll just go to hell? Do you really, you can't redefine it. It has to be because your knowledge of hell, my knowledge of hell is from the Bible. God says, this is what happened. This, you can choose one or the other, up or down. You can choose, you know, hot or perfect. <laughs> well, you can make the, and it's like, it's up to you. You really get to choose. Well, I don't think it's going to be like that. That's not your option. You don't get to say, well, I don't think it would. I don't think God would do that. If he's a loving God, he wouldn't sentence somebody to eternal torment like that. I don't want to, I don't want to. Whoa, you can't change what you know to be true about a place. You can't make it what you want it to be. Well, I heard, you know, Russia's a pretty good place, and some people say that Putin is just kind of responding to, to some mean people, or, you know, in the world. So I'm going to go set, have lunch with Putin. Really? Let me know how, if that works out for you. You can't just redefine him into be what you want him to be or a place to what you want it to be. You know, I hear all the time that Siberia is cold, but I read the other day on the internet, and it can't be a lie if it's on the internet. It has to be true. And I read on the internet that it's actually, that was a lie that's been propagated, just like the whole Iceland and Greenland thing. And actually, Siberia is very pleasant. And I believe that with all my heart, and I'm confident that, you know, it just, it's just got to be that way. 
And you get the plane ticket and you show up in your Hawaiian shirt and flip-flops and you're like, this isn't what it is. You see what I'm saying? I don't mean to belabor it, but it's important. We can't take the smell of sulfur out of our sensory memory, correct? How many of you smelled sulfur, think rotten eggs? Do you know that's the description of the fragrance of hell? I mean, and, and, and gnashing of teeth? Do you get what that means? It, it's beyond grinding and being such torment. And that's, what he, that's how God describes it. So we can't say, I don't think it'll be that way or whatever. Man, it's just like, I, it, it's so important that we can go, wait a minute, I, I don't want to be there. And I don't want anybody that I know to be there. And I don't want to be, you know, just out fishing and having fun till my body dies and call that a life when I could be living out the love he's given me so that I could somehow, possibly, perhaps God could use a weak instrument to rescue someone else from the pit of hell. And if he can do that, to him be the glory. What an amazing thing. Let's move on in verse 11. We have uh, the great white throne judgment. Now, we know in the chronology of the chapter, the, the, um, the devil has been thrown into the abyss, oh, the abyss. Then I saw, verse 11, a great white throne on him who sa- and, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one, according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Verse 15 is the key for that portion of this chapter. When you're, if your name is not written in the book of life, your name is written in the book of life because you're born of the life of Christ, you're born again. At the point of conversion, whether it's written then or you know, there's some discussion about is your name written in initially and crossed out? Because there's a passage that speaks of your name not be blotted out from the book of life. So is it blotted out? I don't really know. I, I could present a stronger case now, I think, for that your name is written in at birth, kind of like a birth certificate. When you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, you're, you're preserved by God, you're bought by God. That's your, your new life. Your name is written in the book of life. But those whose names are not written in there are not, you know, they, they will experience separation from God for all of eternity. That, that's what really this is all talking about. That's the great white throne judgment. The judgment of believers, of Christians, it will be different. That's a different judgment. This is only a judgment, this judgment, is for those who have denied God. And the review and the books is what's being conveyed, and it could very well be actual physical books in a heavenly form or however that would be. The books are reviewed, and if your name is not written in the book of life, then you will not spend eternity with, in heaven. You will not spend eternity with God. 
So I'm just like, hey, I'm going to make sure my, my name's in the book. <laughs> you know, this is a really important thing. And, and uh, you know, when you, we, some have t- taken this and tried to make it look like, well, okay, so according to your works, and if you do this, and th- no, it's just pretty straightforward the way it concludes. Let's, uh, we're going to go ahead and move along into chapter 21. And uh, we're going to start there as we see now. So this is all unfolding, and it, it, it's, it's, sometimes it's so hard to chat to end your, your study or your reading by the numbers. You know what I mean? Like, oh, that's the end of the chapter. We should stop there. Have you ever done that in your devotions? Or maybe your system says read through here. And sometimes you find like, I can't stop right here. It's like, this is, I'm, I'm, I'll forget by tomorrow morning when I read again what I read earlier. I'm, I gotta keep going. Well, I like this one because it leaves us with this awareness of the great white throne judgment, the end of the thousand year period, the, all these things. And then it, it, it reveals, the, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying, There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, It is finished. It is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death, which is what we've seen there back in chapter 20. There's an interesting thing as we look at this. Um, the sea, it says that also there was no more sea. So uh, you look at the percentage of our planet and how much of it's water, but there will be no more sea in this new heaven. So, you know, environmentally it's going to be radically different. Um, you know, even continentally it'll be radically different. Our, our, our heavenly bodies will not be as dependent upon water as we, we know they are currently made up. There's a lot of things to consider there. Um, I, I want to draw back just because I forgot to mention this, but in verse 13 of chapter 20, it says, The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. Um, the sea there, I have no idea what he's talking about. I just want to mention that. I really don't know why it lists death and Hades delivered up the dead, and the sea gave up the dead. It wouldn't mean those who have died at sea because... It's just their body, the tents was left. It'd be, you know, maybe some of you have thought about, well, what happens to somebody if they get cremated? You know, after they die, they're cremated. What happens to their body? Well, it got burned. <laughs> but that doesn't mean God can't put it back together. You know what I'm saying? What happened? You know, I don't mean to get too graphic, but, you know, wild beasts eat people. 
Always have. That's just kind of, they're kind of sharp teeth and claws and they don't have taste buds. So what happens with that body of the believer who went to the village in Africa to witness to people and then the body got consumed but in the resurrection does the animal go instead of him do they go together you see what I'm saying it's kind of it's funny how we can get hung up on these things it's not complicated he who created the body can bring the body back together in whatever means he sees fit or however whatever measure but just realize it's not going to be this body your resurrected body will have certain qualities, personality, attributes, certain things. You'll be distinguishable, but we know what happened there. Even I think it's fair to look at this on the Mount of Transfiguration. They understood who they were, even though Moses and Elijah had already passed. We know Jesus, when he resurrected, he had a body that was a little high performance, so to speak. Seriously. He just, they're, they're locked in an upper room out of fear. Like, oh no, what happened with Jesus? He just kind of comes through the walls and they, what's up? And they freak out, understandably so. But see, the, possibly the molecular structure changed. We know the, the biological, bios, the, the makeup of the body was distinctly different. We know he could be at one place and then at another. Some have suggested, and it's a very fascinating study, it it's not a lengthy book that I read. I think it was by A.E. Wilder Smith. Suggested that we will actually be able to travel at the speed of thought with the new resurrection bodies. And I don't even know. I mean, I kind of thought about it. Like, well, wait a minute. Some of us just think slower than others. <laughs> Is that going to work? But his point was bringing, it was talking about how you, you could, you could you'd be able to think about being somewhere and be there. Because you wouldn't experience the restrictions that are, related to this body which was formed for this earth but the new heaven and the new earth the new recreated this this perfect heavenly place will will you'll have such you can't even grasp it. matter of fact if you're thinking about this in chapter 21 we've just seen some great glimpses of heaven correct have you noticed they just told you what it's not going to be like mostly it's mostly what it's not going to be look nor, there will be, uh, God will wipe away every, eye, every tear from their eye. There will be no more death. There won't be sorrow, no crying, no pain. These things have passed away. Well, it's interesting because how would we know otherwise if something that he's telling us about is so beyond our experience or imagination that we would have no comprehension because we wouldn't have, be able to associate it to anything because nothing is that fantastic. So he says, listen, just so you know, Here's a few things that won't be there. Really, really top-notch things to not have there. If it's going to be heaven, I don't, I don't want to be, you know, sorrowful. I don't want, you know, I mean, there's just all this stuff that won't be present. You won't get old. And everybody said, amen. amen. So you know what amen means, right? Amen's when you own something and you say, so be it. Like, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to, can you double down on an amen? I think you can. It's like, I, 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 man, the body, you know, you won't have these atmospheric realities that are not just caused by gravity because gravity has, gravity and longevity have a negative effect on the body. You figure it out. So, but it's, it's not the environment that's the issue. It's the fall of man that's the issue because that's when death entered the world. 
And so when death entered the world, we started experiencing things that are not going to take place in heaven. See, it's not going to be, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to even try to belabor it because I've already said you, it's just so awesome you can't really explain it. Jesus has said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, speaking of the Greek language, the, the first and last, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of water, I'm reading out of chapter 20, verse 6, of, out of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. When you're refreshed from drinking, you really don't do much to be refreshed, right? You have to have a source that would supply you refreshing water, and that water that's supplied, you have to want it, you'd be willing to receive it, you consume it, basically, and you're refreshed. You, you don't have to, okay, I got the water in me, now I got to jump up and down to get it to you know, kind of sort its way through the rest of the system and to arrive at the right places in the body. You don't, I'm glad certain things are borderline autonomic, that you just, you, have you ever done, you know what I'm talking about. Those days are coming. I know you're complaining about the snow and the cold and all this springtime special, but we're going to be like, you know, just probably Sunday, we'll be going, oh, man, it's hot all of a sudden. It's like, oh, man, I could, oh, it's so refreshing. And that's, I believe, the picture that is one of those he's helping us see. Man, it's, every day will be a refreshing day. But that's kind of hard to say, too, because in order to be refreshed, you have to be a little tired. But you won't be tired. So how can we explain heaven? There won't be death. There won't be pain. There won't be sorrow. That's how we can start getting a grasp. Okay, it's, it's, it's understandably out of this world, but it's also beyond reference. And I don't want anybody to miss the invitation. You can't be driven. I'm going to save everybody. I'm going to go talk to everybody and somehow perceive that it's up to you to do it. You have to be, as, as we are all called to be, Willing to wait for the power from the Father, to be endued with power from on high, which literally means to be filled with the Spirit, compelled by the Spirit, enabled by the Holy Spirit to speak the truth of love when you're prompted. And, and, and that really is the beauty and simplicity to our lives. That we don't, you know, we don't have to go do all this stuff. We get to live out the love that's been implanted within us. And that comes from learning to just have, as we've seen so many times in this letter, having ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Having ears to hear, having a sense of His voice, having awareness of His presence, have a willingness to say, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to call this person. I'm going to go back over there and stop by. Have you ever drove by someone, like I seen a guy the other day with a broken bicycle, a teenager or so, and you drive by and you think, I should go back and see if they need help. And then you talk yourself out of it. It's like, meh. Don't hurt him to walk. Or whatever. I don't know what it may be. I know what went through my mind. I literally thought, he's fine. It's daylight still, or whatever. But there's times where there's, I think it's really the Holy Spirit prompting us to go pick him up. And of course, we're like, okay, I'll go pick him up. If they'll get saved, I'll pick him up. But if not, they need to sweat. <laughs> don't put that in there. Just... You know, there's a lot that Jesus did that was just humanitarian. It was just kindness. It was just compassion. And he even says, as we've already referenced this passage, he says, you know, 
you did my will when you gave that person that drink of water. And when you did this, and you, you did that to me. And they're like, what? When did I do this? When, when you did it to that stranger. When you were led by the Spirit to extend love and grace in a, in a means that just was just an expression for them to understand something. That God can plant a seed from that and multiply and bear fruit. And I, I love to be able to stop and help somebody or do something in conversation and have a, a clear direction and a clear uh, discussion about the gospel of Jesus Christ. But most of the actions aren't that way. The conversation doesn't even go there. Matter of fact, for you and I mostly, the Holy Spirit will lead us to somebody who will go, <laughs> they'll basically spit at you. They'll, if, you if you find a way to kind of weave it in and mention Jesus, then many people are going to go off on you. But does that mean you shouldn't have done it? I don't know. Maybe you shouldn't have. But he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to his people, to his churches. So we're going to stop right there. Well, no, we can't. <laughs> Verse 8, you know, is speaking of, you know, this grouping I mentioned already. Verse 7 speaks of those who choose to receive the glorious gift of Jesus Christ. He offers it to us. He prepares our heart and brings us in a point where we can comprehend and we know our sin and we receive. But he reminds us once again here in, in, in reference and in talking about even the new heaven and the new earth, not saying that you're going to get to make a chance, a decision then because you won't be there. You were either saved or not. But what he's obviously bringing back to is this reminder to humanity that those who reject him will not be in what was mentioned in verses 1 through 7. They will be separated. And, man, we don't ever want to kind of go, eh, I'm close enough. Those are some pretty interesting uh, grouping there. The sexually immoral sorcerer speaks of actually pharmacia or, or uh, substance. Um, anyway, I'm getting, let's pray. God, as we would consider all this, and you just, it's like you just open up more and more to ponder and wonder and consider and discuss. But ultimately, I know, Lord, you have given every Christian, every believer, you planted the seed for the same desire. We all actually want the same thing because you've given us that. We desire, Lord, to hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my joy, into my presence. And so, Lord, we desire to hear that. And we know for that to come true, for you to speak that, we just need to hear your voice. We need to learn to listen, to receive, and to respond faithfully, God, with your power, at your prompting, for your glory. God, thank you. And so may you accomplish that however you see fit here in this little small spot on the planet called Mountain Home, in this place, Lord, where you have put each one of us with opportunity and joy and gladness. You've placed us here to be able to share your love that others may come to know your wonder, your majesty, your beauty, your amazing forgiveness, and your great grace. Use us for your glory. In your name, Jesus, we ask these things. Amen. Amen.
All right, verse 8, we're through there.